before you leave today, is the auction still available? Okay, so as you leave today, if you'll go in the social hall, there is a, a cake and dessert auction, silent cake and dessert auction that's going on in the social hall. You just write down how much you're willing to bid. Now, uh, I'm, I'm thankful that my children participate and are faithful. Uh, Katie, uh, did she fix two different things or just, well, she, did the rapture take place? Uh, I was looking for Katie anyway. If the rapture took place, you're all we're all in trouble, aren't we? Uh, Katie, did you fix two things for the? What did you fix? She fixed cookies and an ice cream deal, and then Cameron, you didn't fix anything, but you had Mama fix chocolate delight, right? He he said. He said he tried to make a cookie, it didn't turn out right. So I, pre I appreciate that my kids did that. However, my daughter Katie decided that she was going to do some Paula Dean cookies, which means a couple of things. One, it means is that if you walk by them and smell them, you gain 15 pounds. It means three things. They're fattening. Also, it means that we had a shortage on butter in the Douglas, because you're going to have butter in a Paula Dean recipe. But it also means that I calculated it out. Those chocolate chip cookies cost me $5 a piece for her to make. So we want you to, I don't really know, but they were, I want you to go back there and be and appreciate all of the youth and, and everybody that participated, okay? Let's remember that. All righty. Turning your Bibles to Joshua 1 9. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version of the Bible. And I'm going to tell you right up front today that I have uh, a motive in this message today. And uh, I'm going to just tell you, sometimes I like for you to try to figure out what I'm trying to do or trying to say. Uh, sometimes even all the way to the end of a message just save it for you to figure it out. Sometimes by the time I get through, you don't know what I was trying to do and I don't either. But today I'm going to tell you right up front what, I'm, what my purpose is today. I have come today to encourage you in the Lord. That's why I've come today is to encourage you in the Lord. I even like the sound of the word encourage. To bring courage in. And we are living in a day that we need a divine, holy inspired, and Holy Ghost sustained courage to face the day that we're living in. And I want you to know that God has given, will give, will supply, will renew your courage. First, or Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9 have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Look at your neighbor. It'll help you. It won't hurt you. They won't buy it. Look at your neighbor and say, be strong and of good courage. God's with you. Say it again. Say, God is with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, 
Thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you that a word fitly spoken, Lord, is like apples of gold and settings of silver. And we are living in a day that there is persecution, adversity, animosity toward those of faith. The devil wants to fight us at every hand. But Lord, we take courage because we know he has already been defeated. And we know that ultimately you will seal his defeat and we will live and reign with you forever and ever and ever. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. There's a little story, a little moral that made its rounds a few years ago that I, I think proves a pretty good point. I, I, we've, I know that we've got some ladies particularly in our church that love yard sales. In fact, they love, you don't, but they, a lot of them do love yard sales or garage sales or estate sales. In fact, people love that so very much that they've even got peaches to beaches. From North Georgia all the way down into Florida, go on a trip of yard sales. Now, women call that he heaven and men call that something other than heaven. Amen. What we like to do, my wife is a connoisseur of yard sales, Salvation Armies, and Goodwills. And what we like to do is we like to go in and find something really nice, a hidden treasure, something that's not hardly ever even been worn, just almost new and buy something nice at a Goodwill or a Salvation Army. We like to take it home and wash it and hang it up in our closet and let it age for three to four years, then take it back down and take it back to a Goodwill or a Salvation Army and donate it back to them. Well, the story goes that the devil had a yard sale one day, that he was going to try to get rid of some things that were cluttering up the place. And so he set up tables to have a yard sale, and a man came by and was looking at things on the table. And he picked up uh, one item, and he said uh, it, was a, it was a sparkly kind of item, really kind of captured your attention. It looked to be, uh, you know, just draped in gold and jewels encrusted. And he asked him, he said, what is this? He said, well, that's the love of money. He said, well, are you going to sell that? He said, yeah, i, I, I got to get rid of a few things. I'll, I'll sell that to you. And, and they negotiated a price, and the man thought he got it at a pretty good deal. Another man came by, and he was looking around, and down at the end of the table, kind of by itself, kind of dusty, and some cobwebs on it. He picked up a unique item and was turning it this way and that way. He said, uh, what is this? The devil said, oh, I can let you have that at a bargain basement price because that are people that are trying to live too strict, too religious. They're just trying to live good moral lives, but that doesn't tempt anybody anymore. So I can let you have that one real cheap. So item by item, he would sell these uh, things like, like lust, hatred, greed, all of those things. Finally, a man stopped by and he said, you got quite a selection here. And he picked up something that had been worn with use. And he said, surely this isn't worth much. How much will you take for it? Because I can tell it's been used a lot. It seems almost wore out. 
what will you take for it? And the devil said, no, no, I'm sorry. I don't know how that got mixed in with it. That wasn't supposed to go in the yard sale. I can't afford to get rid of that tool. It's too effective. And it's called discouragement. For the child of God, the tool I think that is most used and is most effective against the children of God is discouragement. I don't like dis words. I don't like words like disease, disappointment, disenfranchisement, disobedience. I don't like dis words. I don't like discouragement. In fact, there's a slang word that was used a good bit a few years ago for when you trash talk somebody and you insult them and you put them down, they said, don't diss me. That's dissing somebody. And the devil wants to diss you. In fact, he wants to dismiss you. And the way he can dismiss you is to discourage you. If he can drain you of every ounce of courage to face the day, to run the race, to fight the fight, to finish the course, if he can keep you from going into his territory, if he can keep you from sharing the gospel, if he can keep you from claiming the promises of God, if he can tell you that you're not enough and that God's not on your side and that you're going to lose the battle and you're going to lose the faith and it's already decided, if he can tell you and convince you to sing the song, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I think I'll go eat worms. If he can zap you and drain you of your holy courage, then he's got you and I right where he wants us. And he's got a lot of agents to do his bidding. And sometimes those agents are even un unwitting agents of the devil. Sometimes family members can discourage you. Sometimes the people the closest to you that love you that think they're giving you a pep talk. They think they're helping you. They think that they're providing constructive criticism. But they discourage you. Things that we watch, the things that we listen to. Now I know and I, I realize I've got some folks probably more sanctified than me. But everybody knows that I know a little bit about the history of, of the old kind of country music. But I'll tell you this. If you're struggling with discouragement, George Jones ain't your guy. <laughs> Stay away from Merle Haggard. This week I've been listening to groups like the Happy Goodman family. Why? Because listening to those songs of victory and joy reverse the discouragement that Satan wants to bring into my life. If you trust your ears, if you trust your eyes, if you trust 
your emotion, you can get discouraged. But if you trust your God and you trust his word, he says, be strong and of good courage. I am with you. Don't look around you. Up your redemption draweth nigh. I've come to encourage you. I don't like those dis words. I do like the words that start with the I-N or E-N. I like those N words. I like those words that start with N. Words like inspire. You know what inspire means? That means that you bring the spirit in. Enthused. Did you know enthused is a word that literally means to bring God in? It doesn't just mean to get excited. It is the word entheos, where we get theology. Theos is the Greek word for God. Enthused means that you bring God in. us to worship. Come on, lift your hands. Come on, stand up. You can do it. Good boy, good boy, good boy. You can do it. Come on, baby. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm telling you, if we've got the faith and the fire of the Holy Ghost burning in us, we ought to be excited and enthusiastic because faith in Him and knowing Him inspires us and enthuses us. I like those enthusiastic words. And I like the word that says, in courage. There's a guy in the Bible, his name was Joseph. But nobody called him that, he had a nickname. His nickname was Bar, which means son, Nabus, Barnabas. And he was known as the son of encouragement or the son of consolation. Now that's what his name meant, but that's not what his name meant. That's what they meant by calling him Barnabas. But what the name actually meant was the the word bar is for son. The word Nabas is an Old Testament word, a Hebrew word for prophet. Naba was a word for prophesy. And what it actually meant was it meant to bubble. Because when the Holy Ghost got to moving on the prophets, it got to bubbling on the inside and bubbling up out of them. And so what they were actually saying when they called Barnabas a son of encouragement or a son of, uh, of consolation, they were saying, you know, the love of God just bubbles up out of him every time he's around somebody. When you're around him, you can feel it start to bubble. I'm going to tell you, folks, not only for our own sake, but for the sake of our children, the sake of our families, the sake of our loved ones, the sake of those that don't know the Lord, the sake of those that are struggling in their faith, the sake of this old world that we live in, the sake of our nation, the sake of our home, the sake of our church. And for God's sake, we need to be people that have the love of God bubbling up on the inside of us so that when somebody leaves our presence, they're not downcast, but they've received the courage to take one more step because they've been in our presence. I want to be that kind of person. I don't want to be a person that spews doubt, 
spews anger. I, I've got, a, I've got a, a sense of humor, I think. I, I, I find me hilarious. <laughs> I ride down the road sometimes and say something, nobody's there. I just I laugh for 30 minutes on something I've said. I mean, I, I just find me hilarious. But I got action blood in me. And over an accident, there is kind of a wicked sense of humor that gets snide, sarcastic, cutting, biting type of humor. Where you say mean things in a clever way and you laugh about them. And boy, I can get that way. I can get so cynical. And people can get around me and if I'm not careful... What I've spewed out is that kind of outlook on life. God, rescue me for that. Let me be a person that the love of God and the power of God bubbles so that when people leave my presence, they say, I'm encouraged. I don't want to be a drain on somebody. Well, i got to get busy. That's finished with the introduction. I don't want to hold you very long, but I I do want to tell you this. The scripture we read, Joshua and the children of Israel were facing a time of transition. They were facing something they had never faced. Only Joshua and Caleb even remembered living in Egypt. The rest of them had grown up during a time where the pickings were easy. They had grown up during a time that every morning except on the Sabbath day, They'd just go out and pick up food off the ground. They had grown up during a season where every night they went to bed with the glow of God's presence on their tent door because God was manifested in a pillar of fire at night. And every morning they saw the shade of God's cloud as they followed God. And they were about to go into a place that they were going to cross out of provision into prosperity. But the problem was is that there were no battles to fight in the wilderness. The battles are all on the promised land side. And so their parents were content to wander around in the same old, same old and live off of provisional blessings. And they were not willing to fight the battle to get the promised blessings. And it was up to Joshua and Caleb and this generation. And they were about to go where they had never been and on top of that the one that had towed the mark the one that had showed the way the one that had kept them on track the one that was the intercessor the prayer warrior the one that could hear from God the one that was known as the friend of God the one that had seen God and seen the hinder parts of God the one whose face shone with the glory of God that one, the lawgiver, the rescuer, the, the, uh, uh, the, the champion, that one was dead. And God has to get blunt with Joshua up front and says, Now Joshua, Moses is dead. And I'm going to tell you that the church, and more especially this church, stands on the cusp of the opportunity to go where we've never been. We've been living in provision, but God still has promise out there. 
You say, well, I just don't. Well, it's just not like it used to be. What, did we run out of sinners? Did we run out of people that need Jesus? I'm going to tell you, if our job is to see people delivered and saved and set free, I can tell you we've got more opportunity right now than we've ever had in the history of our church to win people for Jesus. The harvest is ripe. But it's so easy for us to get skittish because we miss Moses. If Moses was here, he'd know what to do. If Moses was here, he'd lead us. But he said to him, Joshua, Moses is dead, but I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to be courageous. I want you to have good courage because as I was with Moses, and he was, down the manna from heaven? Didn't he lead them with his eye? Didn't he protect them with his hand? Didn't he give them victory after victory after victory? The Psalms are full of songs of what God did for Moses in the wilderness. Uh, the people in the children of Israel in the wilderness. Didn't God do it? Yes. And we, we look back over our lives and look back over our church. We can rejoice and we can say, wasn't God with them? I'm going to tell you, we are celebrating this year our 80th year as a church. And in 1939, in a tent, they got so loud worshiping God that the police had to come and say, y'all need to quieten off. And we can look back over and see some of the great saints of God that have been a part of this church, and we can say, surely God's hand was on them. Surely God was with them. God did great and wonderful things, but God says that's right. But listen to me, as I was with them, so I am with you because times change cultures change people change situations change churches change nations change but God does not change Jesus Christ the same yesterday today and for Ever. And God says the component that brings consistency is not style. It's not all of those other things. It's that I was God in 1939 and I'm God in 2019. Be strong and courageous for as I was with them, so I am with you. Now the Bible says, he said to Joshua, be strong. I looked that word up, and that word strong is the same Hebrew word that is translated to take hold of, to seize. That there's things we got to hold on to. I had a pastor friend that had a bulldog that was named of all things Judas. You say, what kind of pastor would name his bulldog Judas? Well, he was about the kind of pastor you think would do that. <laughs> he's a good friend. He wasn't that good a pastor, but he's a great friend. But one day I was in his house, and I looked out the back window, 
and there was a tree that had um, a limb sticking off there from, from the ground level here. It was about this high. And I saw that Judas had jumped up and latched onto that limb and was just hanging there swinging. Because when they locked those jaws, you can sooner move heaven and earth than to unlock the jaws of a bulldog. Because they have, in the words of that great prophet, what was his name? Jerry Clower. They had that bulldog hang on foreverishness. Tenacity. When the Bible says be strong, God said, you grab a hold of me. You grab a hold of my promises. You grab a hold of your destiny. You grab a hold of the word of God and you don't let it slip out of your grasp. You hold on. Time is filled with swift transitions and naught of earth unmoved can stand. But build your hope on things eternal and hold to God's unchanging hand. Get a hold of him and don't let go. And while I am so convinced that it is my job to grab a hold of him and not let go, I'm even more thrilled to know that his job is to grab a hold of me and not let go. My little Papa Peavy worked most of his adult life in the grocery business. In fact, after he retired, he got a part-time job at Winn-Dixie as a bag boy. And I'm going to tell you, Daddy was postmaster. I ran the Salvation Army. I've pastored in this area. My brother Travis worked in the, this area, and his wife, Barry, pastored 14 years in this area. There are still people in Douglas, you say Peavy, they don't know any of us, but they'll say, that short little guy made all them jokes up at Winn-Dixie. Were you kidding to him? People all over the place. At his funeral, some of you remember, this place was packed out. At that, that short little man probably never made more than $20,000 a year in his adult life. But years of working with his hands. And he, he was a short little man, but he was built straight up and down. And his hands were huge for a short little man. And I'm going to tell you, you'd grab hold of that little man and you thought, boy, I, I get this. And he had locked down that grip. And he had had you on your knees before you let, he let go of that grip. Because he had a strong iron grip. I want you to know that Jesus' grip is stronger than mine. And there's times that my hand gets weary and gets weak and I almost let it slip. But it's at that time that he tightens down his grip on me. In fact, here's what the same word that for strength here, Isaiah 42, 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. God says, I'm going to hold on to you. As I travel through this pilgrim land, I have a friend who walks with me. He leads me safely through the sinking sand. He is the Christ of Calvary. 
And it would be my prayer, dear Lord, each day for you to help me do the best I can. For I need thy light to guide me day and night. Precious Jesus, hold my hand. Psalm 94 and 7 says that we are not only the people of his pasture, but we're the sheep of his hand. And Jesus said in John 10, 27 through 29, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and another they won't follow. And I'll give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Be strong and hold on to God and realize that he's holding on to you. I heard a, heard a great comment that came from Adrian Rogers. He said, you know, when God put Noah on that ark, he didn't tell Noah to take pegs and drive them in the edge of that ark and hold on to, as best he could to the pegs on the side of that ark to get through the storm. He put him in the ark and he shut the door. Now listen to me. I believe we have free will. I don't believe we ever lose free will. I believe you can choose to, to forsake the Lord. But I'm going to tell you. I know I'm going to make it safely to the other side. Not because my grip is so strong. But because my God is so great. And there's nobody. There's not any discouragement. There's not any problems. There's not any uh, circumstances. There's no one and nothing that can separate me from the love of God. Which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. And nobody can snatch me out of the strong and mighty hand of God. And my strength comes from his strength. My strength doesn't come from who I am. My strength comes from whose I am. I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep those things that I've committed unto him against that day. So he said be strong and of Good courage. We're not like the cowardly lion on the way to see the Wizard of Oz. You know, that's the way some of us come to church sometimes. Some of us, sadly, get like the scarecrow. We're saying, I wish somebody would give me a brain. Some of us can get cold in our experience. And we're like the tin man and say, well, I wish somebody would give me a heart. But most often we're tempted to be like the cowardly lion, the king of the jungle who's lost his courage. And we go from here to there, that meeting to this meeting, we say we wish somebody would encourage us, give us our courage back. But I'm going to tell you it's not the words of this preacher, it's not the songs of that uh, worship leader it's the word of God and God himself that says you don't have to be afraid because I have given you courage. We're God's called people. We're God's appointed people. We're God's anointed people. Hebrews 10, 38 says this, Now just the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. The word there literally means to shrink back. And it's talking, of course, about apostasy, but I believe it means much more than that. When we shrink back from the challenges, when we shrink back from the problems of life, 
when we shrink back from all of the battles that we face from time to time. But Hebrews 10, 39, the very next verse says, but we are not of those who shrink back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. We don't have to cower and shrink back at the challenges that we face. As individuals or as a church, God is with us. We can go boldly before the throne of grace and we can go boldly into our destiny because God has gone before us and prepared the way. Now I'm going to tell you, there's times that I feel like, there's times that I feel that I'm at the plate and I've got two strikes against me. And there's two outs. It's the last out. I got two strikes against me. And it's two strikes and three balls. And I got the bat in my hand. And I want to tell you by the grace of God, I may strike out, but I'm going to strike out swinging. I'm not going to sit there and wait for a ball. I'm not going to sit there and wait for life to come at me. I'm not going to wait to see what's going to happen. We need to kind of dispense with this passive, pansy Christianity that says I'm hopeless and helpless at the whim of what's going on in my life and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm going to tell you, you get up at the bat and you swing like your Babe Ruth and you trust God to make your aim sure. We don't have to shrink back we can have courage. He said, have I not commanded you be strong and have good courage? Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. That word dismayed means to cower down, to back down. He says, listen, you're a child of God. Don't have a breakdown. Don't, don't have a breakdown. Be strong. Be of good courage. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now you explain this to me. You're laying in bed as a little, little boy or a little girl and you hear something scraping at the window and in your mind it's a 50-foot monster.
I feel.